is passionate about cars with Steve Kennard, teaching drivers how to survive the world of modern motoring and imparting wisdom to the next generation of motor technicians. So Steve Kennard, we're standing next to a, a Volvo here with a very foolish driver that's been driving um, with very worn disc pads. What's, what's the consequences of that? Well, the consequence is um, obviously new discs as well as pads. Uh, uh, so this would wear normally probably get about, I don't know, maybe sort of three, four sets of pads to a set of discs because discs would just wear naturally anyway. Um, but of course, in, in this case here, when you look at the pads, the pads are worn three of the four pads because you get two pads for each disc. Three of the four pads are worn pretty much the same one of them is worn onto the metal so that's suggesting that you've got a uh, sticky caliper so it's actually been holding the pad to the disc and over a period of time it's just worn it away a lot quicker than the rest of it and uh, and then it starts going metal to metal mm. not very good braking efficiency and uh, consequently you end up with new discs of course, uh, apparently the driver was reporting horrible grating sounds. That would have been the sound of the uh, pad on the metal, presumably. Metal to metal, yeah. Yeah, um, that, that's, that's what it was uh, obviously uh, hearing. Um, although I must admit, when I first road tested it, um, it sounded like a noise from the front. And, uh, you know, it just goes to show you, like, uh, it's either the, uh, the noise is moving around or I've got to get my ears tested. It's <laughs> simple as that. <laughs> No. So can we see the damage to the disc, uh, Steve? Is it, have we got yeah. score, a traditional scoring effect here? Hang on a second. We've got the disc is actually on the floor. The car is raised up. It's a Volvo state. Yeah. Um, it, this is the disc, as you can see. The uh, the outside of the disc, well scored up. Oh, yeah. The inside of the disc, where the pad's been touching is, uh, you know, it's still sort of fairly sort of shiny. Although, again, if you look at the disc, you've got a blueing effect on the disc which is what happens when the disc is running a little bit hot. You know, if you, if you heat metal up, it goes off colour, goes a little bit blue. This, this is what's been happening with this, which is where this pad has been, with the sticky caliper, has been holding the pad to the disc, not releasing it. So it's, in effect, it's like driving with your foot on a brake. And that's only been happening on one side of this. So because it's happening just one side, it would say that, Probably one of the pistons on the caliper yeah. is um, sticking. Does that mean a new caliper, Steve? Um, well, well, we'll see if we can free it up. Um, if we can free it up, then then fine. But um, a WD40? Uh, yeah, we still use WD40. Uh, but not on the not on the on the disc, obviously. Well, no, but but then WD40 does does actually evaporate a little bit. So uh, you know, rather than sort of grease. Um, so it's yeah. I mean, this this is the consequence of. Uh, um, you know, wearing your pads too low. I suppose the motto of the story is if you hear a, a, a grating sound, uh, go and see your um, your local friendly mechanic. Yeah, just get get the car in, get it checked and find out if it is actually um, pads worn or, uh, you know, if it's just a bit of dirt and dust because sometimes you can get the same sort of noises from a bit of dirt and dust. They can sound a little bit grindy. Um, and sometimes it can even be the pad material can, can make it sound a little bit grindy. Um, but but these discs, as you can see, they're uh, they've got a handbrake shoe fitted to the inside of the disc. So so we've actually got little handbrake shoes. I can't get over how small they are on old-fashioned cars. The sort of cars I'm used to, they were much bigger than that, weren't they? Are modern cars typically like this? Uh, yeah, 
Yeah, it is pretty much like that. Um, and, uh, and I mean, if you think about it, these really don't need to be big because they're, they're not actually going to be doing anything when the car's moving. Mm. It's only applied when the vehicle's stationary. Mm. So, so these handbrake shoes really are just holding on. It's like just throwing a chock underneath the wheel, let's yeah. say. Yeah. Once the vehicle's stationary, you don't use it to actually stop it. Unlike um, some of the older cars, you would, uh, you know, like you've got rear shoes which uh, work through the handbrake system and through the uh, normal footbrake system. Um, but these are just um, dedicated handbrake shoes. Mm. Mm. Yeah. And Steve, would you like to tell the listeners who the foolish owner of this car is? Uh, well, he's not a million miles away from me at the moment. Um, <laughs> and he's, he's actually uh, holding the mic. So... Uh, <laughs> You know, just just draw your own conclusions. <laughs> yeah. Does this um, ramp, this that we talked about last time, does it tell you how heavy the car is? I've often wondered how heavy a Volvo State is. No, no, it does. It doesn't tell you. I mean, all, all the ramps. The ramps are all uh, given a, a loading capability. This particular ramp that we're using uh, on this car, this this is a four-ton ramp. The Volvo itself. Is probably because the Volvos we all know are pretty solid old cars, um, and this one, the estate version, is probably going to go something around about a ton and a half, mm. I would think. Um, yeah, a lot, a lot of modern cars probably go about three quarters of a ton, and out of three quarters of a ton, I should think uh, a good percentage of that is probably insulation, you know, which is why modern cars sound a lot, lot quieter. Yeah. But, but then the the designs on the newer cars. Uh, are such that uh, you know they, they can use uh, better material, stronger material, and, and thinner material. Mm. Um, it's just the way it's designed. You know, you can get a if you get a sheet of metal, if it's flat, just a plain flat sheet of metal, mm. um, it's very pliable, flexible, easy to bend. If you put a few ribs in it, all of a sudden it makes it that much stronger. So depending on how the ribbing is on the metal it makes it you know you can you can make um, a, a thin piece of metal quite quite strong uh, Steve did you see that video on YouTube of that uh, concept BMW with a fabric skin I didn't no no I, I haven't seen that at all uh, I mean I, I know there's some real weird and wonderful uh, vehicles out there at the moment um, Obviously, carbon fibre is used an awful lot in designs now. Uh, extremely strong um, and very light. I mean, this is why they use them on uh, like Formula One cars and a lot of the racing cars. Um, but it's also extremely expensive. Right. So it's it's not a practical thing that's going to filter down to the average family saloon. Um, I think we're going to get to a stage with uh, cars that are going to be um, pe- people won't own them. I think eventually uh, people will just be signing up on uh, lease deals. Mm-hmm. Um, you go down to your local dealer, sign up for a lease deal, and you just uh, perhaps have the car for three years. At the end of three years, a bit like Japan, you yeah. trade it in. And it's recycled. And it's recycled, yeah. Mm-hmm. Or we ship it off to China or something. Like Japan ships theirs off to us at the moment, you know, when maybe we'll. Well, yeah, I mean, they, they, their cars, they only have a, they're only allowed to stay on the road for so long so many miles once they reach a mileage or uh, an age they, they have to come off the road they're sent to the UK yeah I mean, they're shipped around the world and the UK is probably one of their biggest markets which is why we have what we call so many um, Japanese grey imports we call them grey imports because uh, um, 
you know, it, it was when they first started coming in, they were very difficult to get parts for. Uh, the dealers wouldn't want to know them. Um, you know, you go to the dealer and they, they sort of say, no, it's, a, it's an import. We don't do the bits for that. We don't have the data for it and, and all that sort of thing. And a lot of the, the things, of course, are in Japanese. Uh, the, uh, the stereo systems run a different frequency, so they're no good over here, so you have to change stereo. Uh, and, you know, there's, you've got the, um, like the, the, the speedos, kilometers rather than mileage so you know so they all need to be changed recalibrated lots and lots of little things like that um, and uh, uh, there's lots of different systems on on the japanese cars a lot of the japanese cars uh, do actually have a lot more extras than we have on the cars built for the british market you quite like japanese cars don't you they're okay um i mean uh you know, uh, we, we run a couple of um, the Mitsubishi uh, L200 pickups uh, at the workshop here. They're extremely good, hard-working vehicles, uh, and they're perfect for what for what we need. Um, and and of course, everybody knows that Toyota is and has been for some time probably the most reliable car that, that you can buy, and it always seems to come top of, of the list for reliability. You know. So, yeah, I, you know, I mean, they're, they're okay. A bit, bit plasticky, but they're all right. Now, talking about brake pads and stopping, did mm. you hear, I can't resist this, did you hear about that, um, that town in the UK that has rejected speed cameras? Yeah. What's, what are your thoughts on that, Steve? Um, well, you know my thoughts on speed cameras. Um, they're, they're nothing but revenue makers. You know, they do not, um, I firmly believe they do not... Um, uh, make any difference to accidents uh, you know I know people would say ah oh, well you know the accidents have been cut since the speed camera's been put there that's really I don't think strictly true because we all, all know that you can actually get figure figures and massage figures to read exactly what you want you know we get back to this you know is a pot half empty or half full sort of thing uh, and, and if you look, wherever a speed camera is, on the approach to the speed camera, have a look at the road, see how many skid marks there are there where people at the last minute have suddenly realised there's a speed camera mm. and they've hit the anchors. Mm. You know, now they were quite possibly not even speeding when they've done that, but it's just perhaps they were thinking of something else and all of a sudden it's just registered speed camera. They naturally think they're speeding. Mm. They'll hit the anchors. Before you know where you are, person following behinds, hit them up the back. You know, because they've just suddenly jumped on the brakes. So, so there's, I think there's probably a lot more accidents on the approach to speed cameras than there used to be. Um, the speed cameras, um, depending who you talk to, but I'm, I'm sort of on the side of the fence of uh, um, it, it, it is nothing but actually um, making money for the local authorities. And I believe the local authority in question is... Uh, is sort of um, rejecting the cameras now because the money, I believe, goes to central government now rather than local government. So all of a sudden, the local government only gets like a, um, a minor share for, for maintenance um, and the bulk of the money goes to central governments, which is why um, all of a sudden the council's going, well, hang on a minute, we're not making any money out of it now, so we don't want them that's what it comes down to so that in itself would say it's been nothing but a revenue making exercise 
simple as that. Well, Steve Kennard, our first-class garage in Kemptown, Brighton, UK, standing next to a very scored, holding a very scored disc mm. in his hand. Thank you very much indeed. OK, cheers, Andy. Thanks for listening to Passionate About Cars. Passionate About Cars is brought to you by First Class Garage at www.1stclassgarage.co.uk.